Game Boys. Game Boys. Um, cool. Um, that's that's us. What's up, dude? Not much, man. It's been uh, you know, it's just it's uh, actually it's been like the least crazy of a week. I feel like it's been between episodes and like months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is there's a peace within the kingdom. Yeah, um, no one's angry. Everyone is well, together, <laughs> and and no one's divided. I would say no more than like the established mean average. Do you know what I mean? Like. For the first mm-hmm. time in ages, it doesn't feel like there's anyone who's extra mad. I have to be mad about the dumb shit I don't care about. Yeah. The Mortal Kombat movie was like tonally, I feel like that. Whereas like no one got mad about it. No one had a really important opinion that people got mad about. It was just like, this is this is just a week. This is a week of, of rest. R&R. You know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, I have some weird thoughts on the Mortal Kombat movie, but yeah, if it, it, it was... It was very funny because I was kind of anticipating sort of a Kong versus Godzilla style Twitter situation where everyone's like making memes of their favorite Mortal Kombaters. And then like everyone's talking about it. And it's like, oh, there's another movie everyone watched together on Twitter over a weekend or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just didn't have the same juice. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I think it's just because in in the, in the current zeitgeist, like, sure, Mortal Kombat has like a fan base, but like those characters don't really like super resonate with the rest of the mainstream audience that isn't aware of them in the way that like people have a feeling about Kong and people have a feeling about Godzilla. Right. And I think the other thing about it and maybe, I mean, we can start off talking about the Mortal Kombat movie, I guess the the other thing about it that I think is relevant to this, to this distinction is that like it, it's has so much setup at the beginning, like, even though there's fights and shit happening, it's a lot of backstory lore setup type stuff. Um, and Kong and Godzilla just get straight to business. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I think that part, one of the big mistakes the movie made was having this like weird nobody as the main character instead of just being like, yeah, that's Scorpion um, mm-hmm. at the beginning. Because then I think a lot of people who were like sort of mad on Twitter would have just like popped early on in the movie mm-hmm. and been like, oh, it's Scorpion. Now we're going to see all our friends fight and we're in it. And we're like starting in Media Race. But instead it was just like, now we got to explain everything. Mm-hmm. Hey, fellow mellow yellow. Thank you so much for the three months. You rock. Um, yeah, like, I don't know. Uh, I fell asleep during Mortal Kombat. I'll be real. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I found the first half to be like not offensive to me in the, fen- in the sense that, yeah, it wasn't a good movie, but it also wasn't a movie that like demanded I bring a level of intelligence that it didn't deserve. Like, yeah. like it is just a fucking movie and it and it doesn't ex- it, it doesn't treat itself like anything more than that. And so I like. Couldn't get mad at it. It's almost shocking how little that movie had to say. Like we've <laughs> we've talked definitely in, in together. I don't remember if we've been on the podcast before about this like Birmingham school idea that like every piece of art or content or, or culture or anything has sort of the world around the piece like speaking through it. That like there's so many unconscious influences of the world we live in that like they just come out when someone writes something or makes something or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that doesn't even feel like that was true about Mortal Kombat. Like, yeah. It felt like there was just literally nothing there. Yeah, exactly. Whereas like with Kong versus Godzilla, it did seem like there was an artistic decision to focus less on the humans and to make it dumber. Mortal Kombat just lives and breathes its dumbness and yeah. like doesn't even isn't even aware of its existence. It's just like simple in that way. And and that, and, I, and I and I guess I appreciated that. Yeah. And I mean, like even Kong versus Godzilla had like anti-corporate themes and like pro environment mm-hmm. themes and like these ideas like fucking 
what is the theme of Mortal Kombat? That just like you gotta try hard, and that like sometimes getting beat up is actually good. Like, yeah, yeah, it's pro, it's pro fighting. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know, um, but uh, I, I don't really have any other big takes on it because I didn't. Uh, it's that the combat is mortal. Yes, Wiz, I agree. <laughs> um, so. Speaking of like things that had something to say that does instantly tingle in my brain, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, it does. Uh, which, we should, you know, it's wait, 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 sorry, we what? should tell people who aren't watching the stream that they're listening to the Game Boys podcast. Oh, yeah, you are. And uh, you are listening to me, Griffin. And me, Lux. And our producer, Haley, is on the whoa, whoa, ones and twos, editing, producing, making it all happen. Thank, thank you, Haley. There, there's a lot of combat, but yours is immortal. Yeah, never gonna die. Um, one second before we move on, I just want to say to the chat, uh, Mortal Kombat theme is just gore and it's just glorious violence aren't real things to say. I just want to make that clear. These aren't like, it's sure, it's cool they kill people and there's gore and stuff, but like, they aren't reasons to watch a movie. Um, really? I mean, yeah, it's like, there has to be some kind of juice. And like, this time the juice was that there the, was like- That's the juice is blood. And the chore- juice is, is human juice. And the choreography and like- you know, fights having some kind of idea of stakes. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's not that it's not clear what it was about or what it was trying to do. It What's unclear to me is like what emotional investment in this movie, the movie, like what, how the movie was emotionally invested in itself. Mm, um, I, I see. Which I see. was very vague and unclear. Yeah, um, sure, sure, sure. Because it really was just this one guy, Cole, being like, I'm having a tough time learning how to have metal powers. Um, yeah. I'm going to I again, I, I slept through it. I don't feel bad about it. I'm going to keep watching it. Um, you, it's worth finishing. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's the fight scenes do have good blood effects, do have good choreography are like geometrically or geographically clear. Um, so all that shit's good. It's just like every time there's like a exposition scene of more than like four minutes, my eyes just like fucking glazed over. Yeah. And I got to say, though, even from the trailer, I get this sense that like I'm not against casting no names in, in film, but certain times when you see a film like Mortal Mortal Kombat and you see sort of the the cast and the casting choices, it's like mm, there's just no there's just no way that this is going to be good. Like you get a sort of vibe off a collection of actors in a trailer that is that does tell you a lot about what the film's going to be like, right? Yeah, totally. And I think one of the problems is um all right, I, I'll get to you in a second Sergeant Floyd. I think one of the problems is that uh there is a sort of like it's set up to be kind of kitschy and campy in the way the first one was with a bunch of no names trying to like bring like this like energy to this movie. Mm-hmm. But the movie's so clearly trying to avoid that. Yeah. Um, and trying to be serious that the sort of benefits you get with this sort of like no name cast, unless they're all like super talented stars is of them sort of like taking risks and doing weird shit just isn't there. Yeah, um, agreed. And it's like that sucks. And Sergeant Floyd, I think, again, you're missing sort of the point here. The point is that everything has a deeper meaning in it because everything's made by people in a world where like things happen to them and they explicitly explain that kind of stuff. Right. Like the ideas that are happening around you come out of the things that you make, whether you mean to or not. Uh, that's just like what being a person is. The crazy thing about Mortal Kombat is that it seems like even that didn't happen. And that the person who wrote it just like had no connection to the world around them and was working strictly in a vacuum. And that's the bizarre I, thing. Right. Like even Kong and Godzilla had shit to say. It was just mm-hmm. dumb at saying it. 
Yeah, yeah. The Mortal Kombat was was written by an alien. Yeah, and I like, think that's, that's cool. how it feels. Yeah, I, mean, I think there's there's something to that. Do you want do you want the sons and daughters of Hollywood elite to write your movies, or do you want an alien to write your movies? <laughs> that's that's the two choices that we have as consumers in this economy. And there's a correct one for sure. Yeah, there's a correct one. Um, um but you know, uh, I I also there's there was something else sort of in the I would say tangential nerd culture um, that I finally finished. Had been kind of uh, on the sort of discourse realm, uh, and that is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Marvel's latest TV series debut. Um, God, we're just turning into like one of those superhero uh, podcasts, Dude, aren't I we? Fucking, oh, it's and my fucking job, man. Like now that Marvel's coming back, everyone who talks about content uh, is like has to be talking about Marvel all the time, and for their really. The pandemic was like very bad in many ways. There was this brief break where it didn't where Marvel like wasn't yelling at me mm-hmm. for like a year. And now it's like, bam, we're back. Like we are it fully, was. fully yeah. back in it. And it is insufferable. I mean, and I say this as I thought WandaVision was OK. I do not like Falcon the Winter Soldier for reasons that we'll get into. Um, but. Like, but yeah, what was your what was your what was your what was your big thoughts just with in terms of like where we are with the Marvel TV shows with this one and like where what was your you know big, th- big, big vibes? I think that they're trying Marvel's trying to do a dance that it can't do because it's an undoable dance, which is basically the idea that they can start making things that push into the kind of more complicated gray area comics that would logically come after the Infinity Saga. Um, but they don't like they just don't have the the guts to like actually do it right like, i agree with you completely yeah this is this is a this is a series that in every scene could be like a stunning critique of american military complex and in every single scene it decides to obscure and and dodge because they work and produce these films with the military i would even argue i would go a little further i think that it actually does a good job, not of implicating America specifically, but of, of implicating certain certain specific elements of global governance and and international policy, and then walks it right up to the point where like they're about to say something cool and commit to it, and then episode six is just like punts it into the ocean, like I, fully X's it. I think that I think that in. I, I, I'm, I'm a little I'm a little uh, likely to disagree with you on that simply that I think that every scene sort of clouds these topics with information that I, I'll get into as well with some examples. But like like they purposefully like always bring up a topic and then sort of cloud it or couch it in a way to sort of soften it and make it ambiguous. Um, but like I guess my other big thought about where we are now with the Marvel franchises or whatever is that Marvel keeps doing this thing where they make a two and a half hour movie and then turn it into a TV show. Like the plot of WandaVision and the plot of Falcon and the Winter Soldier is simply the plot of just like a two and a half hour movie stretched out with more resting scenes and then the action is even more spread out. And that's just not the right formula for a TV series. A TV series needs like a few more beats than that and a few more big choices in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a you know, a series of television. It just yeah. doesn't work formulaically to me. I think that that's right. And I think a big part of it is that Marvel, one thing Marvel craves above maybe all others is relatability um, it wants you to relate to the characters. It wants to tell everyone that they're special. 
and that eating their dumb Marvel brain slop will make you more special. Or, and, or they're just like you. Yeah, they're just like you and they're heroes. And that means you can be like that. And that like mm-hmm. who you are is fine. Don't worry about bettering yourself or the world around you. It's great. We're all great. It's awesome. Welcome to Marvel. Um, And uh, like in the pursuit of that, they have these TV shows that give them more space to like have like scenes of relatability. The thing is that like, that's stupid. <laughs> well, uh, it's yeah, a stupid that, thing that, to want. It makes TV shows, like you said, structurally less interesting. But that, well, that tonal choice occurs in all their properties. Yeah. But even worse now in these TV series is it's extra double stuffed Oreo right, of that's those scenes because because they don't write out like they don't write out a TV uh, series. They write out a two and a half hour Marvel film. And that's really what I felt like when I was watching Falcon, the Winter Soldier, where I was like, OK, this really just feels like the like the two hour point in the movie. And like there's just been so much just dreariness. I mean, like in in, in this sh- show, every episode like starts with like the Falcon trying to get like a bank loan and being denied. Motherfucker, he fought like Thanos and now he can't get a bank loan or he's like trying to fix a boat. And it's just like all of this stuff that just sits and takes forever. Um, And it, it starts and it makes the episodes feel really cheap. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it there's that and it's it's like you said, they, they write a two and a half hour movie and then like add an hour and a half of extra fucking hanging out around it. And the, the only show where they successfully wrote like a, a full season of television was in Jessica Jones. And with Jessica Jones, like like the episodes were structured like episodes, like like there was yeah. like a, a lot of beats and like a lot of stuff going through that season. Like the end of every episode of Falcon, the Winter Soldier is them just ending with a character appearing that you don't remember from a film that came out 10 years ago. And like, that's how they treat their episode endings in every single episode of this show. It's so confounding that they think I remember Nemo or some side, some side character that they didn't like, or or an underwritten female character that they didn't write. Well, the first time, don't worry, she's back and she's worse than ever. Like, like they, like it is, it's just absurd that they think like, that's how these episodes should be written. I, I also think again, this show this is i mean more this is uh, we'll get we'll get into like the thematic successes and failures of the show in a sec um but uh the fucking making baron zemo the like kind of like offhand villain of the of the story just sucks Mm, like zemo zemo's such a good character and he doesn't get to do nearly as much cool stuff as he should. I mean, I don't know. They were fairly they were fairly they were doing some rehabilitative justice on him, I think, trying to make him seem like a good guy, even though he was like a Nazi. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> um, like he's, and, he's yeah, really good as like was, a craven evil manipulator guy. Right, right. And instead he was I don't think he was a villain. He was like a sidekick, like very, very early on, like established as like a sidekick. Yeah, um, I'm I did not like that. I mean, I'm a I'm a Zemo. I'm a Z, not a Zemo apologist. He's a bad man, but I'm a Zemo fan. I just think he's like a good character. I did like that Zemo decided to destroy the super serums, and I thought that was one of the only examples of any character making an actual choice. Um, even though it didn't, it wasn't built up or around anything. I was like, oh, there's a character making a choice. Um, but like, there, I want to get out to some like big things because like 
obviously this show is uh talks a lot um about i mean the show is basically more about falcon to me than it is like winter soldier is very much like a side character and it's, it's about like it's very like and falcon. the winter soldier yeah it's very and the winter soldier but this story at its core is about falcon deciding if he if being captain america is what he wants and if representing america is what uh a, a black man like can and should do. And like, if the history of America could allow and, and should there, the question is, should there be a black captain America? And this show says emphatically, yes. Yeah. So, so this is the beginning of the show's problems is that what you've just described is a whole ass movie. Um, this is like a big idea. There's like numerous long comic book arcs about this question, um, that are, and it is discussed at length in many different ways. Um, and there's a lot of obviously really interesting and distressing and, and intellectually curious and all kinds of sort of adjectives, ways of talking about it. Um, to make that sort of one of the central questions of the show and then lump on a crazy international relations plot on top of it is like, come on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, um, and I think the big, the big thing that it keeps running into is I, I think that that actually is a fascinating question. Like, like, like does America deserve or like can America, you know, uh, can America ever recover from its sins or whatever? And like, and like enter a new world. The problem is, is that the show is very hesitant to describe what America's sins are. And even when they do, they are incredibly vague about it. In fact, most of the time when mentioning anything bad, it's almost assumed that it's like Hydra stuff. But it's like, no, it's like like they mentioned something like the like like the, the the Isaiah character, which is like this like old veteran who was, you know, uh, tortured by presumably a force of Americans, not unlike, you know, something like the Tuskegee experiments or something in America. And. And the way that we just like wave all that away is, oh, he gets a statue in a museum dedicated to how awesome America is. Yeah. And, and, and so it's like it's all these things where it's like they want to have the show about this subject, but they never want to talk about the subject because talking about it would implicate all of these free tanks they get, well, all see, of these free military uniforms they get. Right. And, and it's so, like it's so it's, it's it's so effectively it's pointless to talk about if you're not going to talk about well, it. Well, here's the and that's where it gets interesting. Right. Is that I think the th- one of the big differences between you, in my opinion, is I think the interesting thing that it almost does isn't about America. It's a question of international relations and a question of inter interstitial space. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and it does get into that pretty explicitly because that doesn't impede America in quite the same way because they get to hand wave it and be like, oh, it's not America. It's the GRE or whatever. Right. Or the GRC. Right. Um, yeah. And so that's all really interesting. However, again, at the end of the fucking show, they because, OK, so to explain what I think is interesting about it is Hannah Arendt and Giorgio Agamben. There's gonna be a video about this on Wisecrack that I helped develop. But like short version is basically. These two authors, Arendt and Agamben, talk a lot about the status of the refugee and how the refugee kind of exists outside the rights of a citizen and even outside the rights of a criminal. Um, right. Because there's no cat. There's they, they're people with no official space in society. 
um, Agami makes this comparison that like that sort of it's the logic of a concentration camp that sort of refugee camps are the same thing where like there are no rules or rights for these people. And the, the degree to which they are abused or not abused or survive or don't survive is contingent on how the people in the camp feel about them on a given day. Right. There's no rules or laws for like international POW stuff, things like that. It doesn't exist. Um, uh, all right. Look, GP Bear, real quick side side note. If you don't think it's worth figuring out the ways that like mass popular culture propagates shitty ideas and is a bad job of, of like creating good ones, then you can like fuck off. But, like this is how <laughs> people is get getting stun locked again. <laughs> this is like how people get shitty ideas. Um, so like it's worth going into things like how a rent applies to a fucking winter soldier, how the flag smashes are a response, to the social position of homo sacker, um, et cetera, et cetera. If you actually want to like understand how social shit works, if you don't, and you just want to like be a guy who just talks about how it's dumb to do things that change people's minds or help people like that's sure that's your call. Have fun. But like, it's kind of dumb to just like make that the point of your goal, but like have a good time. Um, anyways, so this idea, right, is that we've got sort of all these people, the flag smashers, these refugees who are all displaced by the blip and who all don't have any safety or rights protection. The problem with the show is at the end, there's not like a global condemnation of this condition or like the show being like, this is a bad thing. At the end there, everyone's sort of like. Sam's going to be Captain America and we're going to try very hard and we should all feel good about it. There's literally a scene at the end where Falcon grandstands for five minutes to a group of senators who have just left a kidnapping situation and he talks to them all and he literally says, listen, this immigration thing is bad and immoral. How dare you? And the senators say, well, it's complicated. And he goes, I know it's complicated. I know I don't understand it, but you do better. In fact, all of us do better. And I think that that entire like monologue was just the perfect encapsulation of like the liberal psychology an acknowledgement that the world is unfair, but then also an acknowledgement that things are too complicated for us to figure out very quickly. And that if we all just individually attempt to be nicer and kinder in our own lives, these structures of power will change. Right. And again, this is where that Agamemnon stuff comes up with this idea of sort of the state of exception, right? It's like he says at the end of the thing, it's like you could change all this shit. Like you can make a phone call to feed all these people. You could send an email to mm. uh, fix this rainforest, whatever. Um, but they don't. And the reason they don't is because they just choose not to. And so the safety and the ability and the stability of this whole system is contingent not on logic or on best practices or on rules. It's on how these people feel about what they're doing. And um, also he like he even does mention like Falcon. I will say he'll mention like you guys control the banks. You could you could say, make a call right now. He like says these things, but it's like none of your show built up to these ideas. Like none of your show like highlighted the fact that like these things were occurring because of the banks or because of capitalists or because of larger powers. It was all this. It was all centered on a radical lefty movement. That's what the show was fixated on. Was this was this flag smashers being lefties that are, were pure of heart but had gone too far left and the dangers of that right it's focused on that and then at the, it's focused on that and like that's its own set of flaws we can definitely get into the the thing at the ending that's so frustrating is that like he makes a statement and the end isn't the show paying out this idea that the GRE is constructing you know 
uh, uh, is constructing, you know, these camps and is like repatriating people and is acting as a military force, even though it's supposed to be a humanitarian force, etc. It's not that it's that Falcon flies away super happy. And then, like, we all go and hang out on the boat. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, yeah, like that's the ending. So the beat is like, hey, there's a structural problem. The structural problem is that there's a deference to the specific perspectives, the people in charge and not the actual issues that are going on. Uh, let's all go hang do out on be- my boat and do better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Which is, which and, is a dog obey, shit, noth- nothing, anything. And like, that's, what's frustrating yeah. is that like mm-hmm. it draws attention to these like non-state spaces, and the way non-state actors can penetrate them in like violent police type ways, which is bad. And then when it gets to the point of being like, here's the problem, it's like peace to the boat. Yeah. And GP Bear says, what would we do without neckbeard Slavo Zizek telling us how commercial movies alter our ideologies? Well, GP, here's what I'll say. While maybe I can't get you to agree that like there is a sort of like uh, it does alter ideologies. I think the thing that we probably would agree on is that uh, we can still analyze these films and be like, oh, these are what the elites think like these are what rich writers think about our world and that is interesting like like this, like like even if you don't believe that like people are watching these movies and absorbing any of it like our analysis on like the psychology of the people making it is correct and is something interesting to think about like isn't it interesting to think about how these rich liberal writers like their view of the world and how things should be like these are people that are more powerful than us they have bigger platforms uh and they are in a billion dollar industry that that speaks to lots of people so i think that is uh worthy of analysis and also suck my dick you piece of shit anyways also um also quick note for the dipshit um Zizek literally wrote a book about commercial movies altering our ideologies. Like, I'm not being knockoff slab by Zizek. I'm just doing the shit he's been doing. Anyways, um, so uh, I, I want to uh, talk about U.S. agent for a second. Oh, yeah. Let's get into a, let's get into John Walker. So so John Walker is this uh, guy who is classic awarded military man and he is going to be the replacement for captain america he is going to be the new captain america now that falcon has decided not to be it and you know in a lot of ways like i was like falcon and winter soldier are being dicks to this guy for no reason like 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 they like they cast u.s agent and his friend and they frame them very villainously with their cinematography and how they dress them and how they light them and it's like well they haven't done anything evil yet but like the show wants you to know from like minute one that like these guys are gonna be bad it's so funny because then it wants the turn where it's like it turns out he was bad uh to be like a moment but it's like every second he's on screen, everything you've done this whole time yeah. is to tell us that he's bad. Mm-hmm. Well, so like then when it turns out he's bad, it's like, OK, <laughs> like, yeah. And so there's this moment there's this moment where he brutally kills someone with the shield. And I would also like to think that I, Captain America killed people. OK, like I don't know why there is this like big, big shock about like Captain America, like killing someone. I guess he does it like in a very brutal and public space and it's like on cell phones. So there's like it's a little more brutal, but he doesn't kill like a civilian or someone like he kills like, uh, you know, like someone who is uh, literally killing people, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so there's something interesting there, but like for, for all the examples about U.S. agent, this is a character 
that would normally exist to critique um, the military complex, but then also sort of this undemocratic national security state that operates on its own. It like uh, it could do all those things, but it has to make those really, really ambiguous because it really can't go too deep on those issues because of the military producers. It's that like, and because they want to be re- one scene on that that is like such a confluence of that and the relatability thing is there's a bit where they're driving in the van and uh, fucking John Walker it confesses to spying on uh, Falcon with the Red Wing. And Falcon's like, you hacked my tech? And he's like, uh, no, we watched it because it's government tech and uh, I'm the government. Yeah. And it's like, I understand it's like supposed to be a critical line to some degree. And like it sort of works. But it's also just like, dog, we're just going to like, hey, this is like they're just goofing. Yeah, we're just yeah. doing bits about like fucking surveillance, the surveillance. Well, state. Like, no, what are we well, doing? Yeah, be, well, well, I mean, well, that is also again part of the liberal ideology. I mean, I can't count how many people, how many proud blue Democrats I've seen beg Mark Zuckerberg to be more authoritarian with the platforms. Like, they want Silicon Valley people, like they want these smart intellectuals to be the ones that like guide our economy. Like, they do truly believe in that and believe that's right. Um, but like, uh, with like, for instance, this big moment where u.s agent does kill someone i do see someone in the chat say he killed nazis not surrendering civilians that was not a civilian that was a terrorist that blew up buildings of civilians charlie so uh rewatch the show for a second Uh, those guys killed a lot of people legally he probably is closer to a civilian than a soldier Okay, sure. I, I guess technically on that term, but like, I mean, this guy is murdering and blowing up people. I'm not saying like he did the right thing, but I, my my larger point is that, like, okay, this moment where he does kill someone in a brutal way, it could have been this moment to talk about how sort of the military gets away with killing, you know, innocents or civilians or something. Um, but instead, the the show frames it as a crime of passion simply because he loved his best friend so much, and it's never willing to go there and be like, oh no, like this is the this is the oh Charlie says he was the one that didn't want to kill anyone. Well, that's actually a good point, then Charlie. Okay, yeah, that was good of the show to do. Um. But like my point is, is that like this could have been a thing about how like, you know, in in the TV show, The Boys, um, it talks a lot about how they send the superheroes in to just like massacre people and stuff like that. It could talk about those things, but it doesn't ever want to. And so it's just like, oh, he did it because he's crazy. Like we never really get why U.S. agent is falling apart, like because like there is never any clear like core flaw to him. Uh, like, like other than, I guess this sense that he's, he cares more about, I don't know, being the guy than doing the right things. And it's just so vague and it's just becomes a nothing character. Right. Well, it's like, it's this thing where like, sorry, my allergies are making my right eye go crazy right now. Um, it's this thing where like, I get the, the show wants us to be like, he represents a kind of self-interested, uh, inherently violent Americanism. To which Steve Rogers is like ontologically opposed, right? Yes. Um, right. And that he's everything Steve Rogers is, and that Steve Rogers, he's all the bad things that could happen to a Captain America. But again, like you're saying, the show doesn't give us a ton of that. Um, no. Especially on his actions. It gives us that in the way he's lit, the way he shot, like you said, but it doesn't give us a lot of like him doing the shit that would make us reach that conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, he represents America after 9-11, someone says in the yeah, chat. No, I think that's that's fairly accurate, is that he is he is sort of a a, a a war on terror, uh, world police type Captain America. Um, right. But, but we never really get a sense that 
we never really get a sense that like the world police is bad. We get a sense that he's a bad employee of the world police. Right. But, but we're, we're like unsure why. Right. <laughs> this, this actually reminds me of a comment I saw in the chat earlier where someone was talking about how civil war is about superheroes like violating their powers and using them against civilians, etc. But the thing is, civil war never considers uh, what if this is always bad? <laughs> What if there's no good version of interventionism or imperialism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, what are the best rules for it? And that's sort of the same thing with this uh, with this U.S. agent thing is that it's like, what if having a Captain America work for the government just can't be good? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And the show right. is never like that, never considers that. It only ever considers, well, what's good, good Captain America or bad Captain America? Yeah. And it's like, so, well, that's easy. <laughs> Easy. Yeah, very easy. So we have this like U.S. agent character who clearly is supposed to be sort of our biggest threat. And I think this show does like a really bad job at like making us feel like there's like high stakes to any of this because like the U.S. agent kind of is like slightly villainous and just kind of bumbling around the world doing like the same investigation. And then like this other villain of this Flag Smashers girl um, is also not super threatening. And so when you got a guy like Falcon, you got a guy like Winter Soldier, these two Avenger type superhero guys, and you pit them up against a girl, it just doesn't feel like any of the stakes are that high. And I just, I like, I just zone in and out on like, what is even happening? Right. Well, the thing is like, we get to see her being super tough a couple of times, which is cool. The, the problem is that it's, it's never really clear what the end game for her is. Yeah. Um, in a way that feels threatening. There's like, oh, she's going to work for the power broker and become enmeshed in international problems. And that's going to be bad. She's going to like punch yeah. the GRC. And it's like, it's just like <laughs> you can make the argument, right? I don't buy it, but movies can make the argument in a compelling way that like, hey, these sort of anti-structuralist terrorist folks, revolutionaries, whatever, are going to destroy the structures that make it possible for humans to live in a way that's productive. Um, mm-hmm. That's like. Again, I think I don't believe, but it's an argument a movie can make in a compelling way. This show does not do that. <laughs> it doesn't do the work to, to justify a bunch of people being like, borders are bad, freedom is good, and then making them the bad guys. Yeah. And, and so, like, they're they're like a really confusing bunch. And, and I would say outside of them being very non-threatening, but they also randomly do kill people and super random. And then, and, and like, uh, and the Falcon is, like, constantly obsessed with, like, finding like her soul and that she's got a good heart, even though she is like killing lots of people, uh, you know, in random bursts. It's so she does feel like super irredeemable and doesn't really seem like she ever gives him a reason to like treat her with kid gloves in the way that he does. Um, but ultimately like this character is an example of like, yeah, like radical leftism because yeah. all of this is through the lens of like a sort of a of a winter centrist of a, of a centrist liberal yeah. because like you know we have um we have like bad america but it's ambiguous and we can't really figure it out and we need to do better but then we also have people who know how bad and evil it is and they are so aware of the evils that it's it's turned them evil. They're fried. They've horseshoe theoried back into terrorism. Um, and I think it, it is such a 
such a funny and such like a shallow look at like uh, the activist movement uh, or like how any of this stuff works. Yeah. I mean, what it reminds me of a lot and less less the content of the show and more like sort of the psychological state we're attributing to its creators. What it reminds me of a lot is a uh, fucking uh, the Star Wars prequels. Yeah. Um, because an undergirding element of the Star Wars prequels is the Republic and the people who care about the Republic being like, we've had a Republic for a long time. It'll figure out how to keep going. It'll be mm-hmm. fine. The system will eventually work itself out. And that's sort of the underlying assumption of the Marvel movies in a lot of ways, right? Is that like, yes, these movies can be predicated on global crises <laughs> and sort of fail- like systemic failures like uh, the, the devastating repatriation projects, stuff like that, right? Um, but we all know eventually it's all going to work out. The system's mm-hmm. eventually going to self-correct and we'll be fine. Um, yeah. but it's not, if we all individually decide to like do better and like be more open hearted and kind, it'll become infectious. And then like all of the interests that have like built this horrible world will just like melt away. Right. And the system it's won't like, change. It, it just doesn't have to. It's just like Barney. Yeah. yeah. It's stupid. Um, so, uh, like, I guess just ultimately outside of all the politics of this, like my last thought before we talk about some games, if a show is called Falcon and the Winter Soldier, maybe they should have a relationship. Maybe they shouldn't just stand next to each other for six episodes and make zero choices in each other's lives or really have any arc, any fights, any conflicts or obstacles. Just a suggestion. Yeah, dude. Uh, It's wild. it, It is nuts. It's like, why... Like, like we said, that's sort of top of this conversation. This show could be Bucky and Sam hanging out, dealing with their trauma about the death, like the loss of Steve Rogers and reckoning with can a black guy be Captain America? And that could be a three hour or two and a half hour movie. No problem. And probably a pretty good two and a half hour movie. Like there's a lot there to do, but they just layered on all this extra shit. And so it doesn't do any of the shit that it's ostensibly trying to do. At all. Well, it's well, it's maddening that it's like, oh, and all the scenes where you could have a relationship, these characters are buying a boat or like getting a bank loan. And it's just so insanely drab and mundane and it just feels cheap. And I'm sorry, but like, yeah, I guess like the Falcon actor is attractive, but he has no character flaws. He has nothing to work on as a person. And he's just largely a boring character. Like, like I, I know that he, like, ha- I guess his he has a big decision to make. Will I be Captain America or not? But it largely doesn't feel like he has many personal things to, like, learn or, like, struggle with. And so he just becomes a very, very vapid and kind of flat character. Yeah, totally. And then, and I think the same is true with the Winter Soldier in a lot of ways. It's it's disappointing because I think that, I mean, I, I know from my own reading of comics that, like, there's a lot of interesting shit to do with these characters. And it has been done. Mm -hmm. Um, and this ain't it. So do you think that it's like that they don't, aren't aware of the comics or that afraid of being too close to the comics? Um, or do you think it's just all the things we mentioned before? I think it's a combination of a couple of things. I think one is that Marvel increasingly has been publishing comics to be closer to the movies. Um, so I don't think the movies want to be responsive to the comics anymore, but rather create a vice versa. Oh, I see. Um, and then also I think that it is a lot of what we're talking about that, to get into why Sam should or shouldn't be Captain America, to get into what is the role of sort of global repatriation council, America's role in that, et cetera, involves mm-hmm. asking and then answering involves asking and critically also answering questions tied to those ideas. For sure. And it, it, it'll ask those questions all day, but it will never, ever answer them. 
Um, Mm -hmm. And so like, we never are going to get like Sam points out that the lack of rights for refugees is a giant crisis that can be managed through the state. And everyone just says it's very complicated. And then everyone goes home. Right. It's awesome. Uh, Or we're going to have Isaiah be like, uh, America's built on the back of, black, of tortured black folks. What are we going to do about it? And it's like, yeah, you've got a statue. We're fine. Y- like, you get a statue in a museum dedicated to America. Yeah. yeah it's pretty great. Yeah. And so like it, that's it, like, like they say, right. The, the classic sort of screenwriting thing is like the ending is the conceit, right? If the yeah. ending is always this like happy, everyone's fine at the end. You got a statue thing. No, we're never going to get the conceits that are like challenging or interesting in the way that a lot of sort of the comics they're referencing, but not actually doing are. Um, I'm also I also would say to any any Marvel person who says that we're like we're sort of hitting this with too large of a stick is that like something we don't. We don't, we don't have these feelings for Godzilla versus Kong or Mortal Kombat because they dang not to touch upon those issues. If you touch upon those issues and fuck up or look like an idiot, we get to say something about right. it. Like these shows aren't apolitical. This is why I'm so confused by people like that dude who was in the chat earlier where it's like he's just he's 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 just in here all the time. He's yeah, <laughs> sure. But like I'm just confused by that inst- that by that impulse where it's like. This is probably the most discussion of refugees that like eight million people have had in five years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And like this is it. Right. I, yeah. I bet a ton of the people who watch this did not give a shit about the Syrian refugee crisis, not give a shit about the cri- refugee crisis in Eastern or Europe about or it. in Africa. or Yeah. Right. And so like this is that discourse to them. And it's significant and like meaningful to be able to be like, hey. How are we telling the story of refugees, of imperialism, of mm. like, how does our culture tell that story to itself? Yeah. Um, and like, that's a meaningful question and a relevant one. And I think any like reasonable sort of culturally interested person would would, would think so. And mm-hmm. and so I always and he's not the first person to to drive me crazy that way. It's I just never understood the impulse to be like, who cares? It's just a movie. Um, yeah. Never, well, I, never got that. Yeah. Well, it's it wasn't just a movie. It was a six episode miniseries. Oh, right. Um, Sorry. But uh, I keep calling it a movie because that's how it feels in its structure. Because it it is. They didn't try at all to make it a TV show. Um, (laughs) I I, I would say, though, to cap off this conversation, at least Winter Soldier fucked Falcon Sister. I think that's really important. Um, A win for the white guy. (laughs) Yeah. Prayers Um, up. Prayers up for them. (laughs) Um, but, uh, you know, let's talk about a little bit of games here in the yeah. second half of the show. Um, uh, half you know, we're, yeah, 45 we, minutes we are, in, but yeah, we are in deep to the episode, but we are also in deep to like a coming big, big week and a half of games. Cause on Friday we've got Pokemon snap coming out, which I'm so excited for. And then days later we've got resident evil village. So there's a lot on the horizon. And uh, isn't the returnals coming out soon or returnal is one of the, one of the first P- truly PS five exclusives. I was told that resident evil village was a PS five exclusive when I bought the PS five, but much of that marketing was lies <laughs> yeah i mean look this is the same company that this is the same game that said download our gameplay demo and i downloaded a nine minute mov or a nine gigabyte mov of someone else playing the game that's so, pretty sweet um yeah so i mean fuck them but yeah there's those there's like there's returnal there's pokemon snap there's resident evil village 
Uh, a week after that, there's the right uh, the Mass Effect remaster. Yeah, um, it's like about it's to a become a huge time for for gamers. And so we're trying to just charge up right now and sort of store our energy. And I think that's why you're playing MLB The Show, right? Yeah, it's a big part of it. Uh, also, because it drives me insane. And for some reason, I like hate myself in a very specific way that makes me subject myself to this game that makes me feel crazy. Oh, really? Is it is it is it frustrating in like a mechanic yeah, or in well, like a format? It's that. Basically, I mean, it's frustrating because it's baseball, right? Where it's like baseball because you're playing a sports game. Yeah, well, and it's not. Well, that's the thing is that like with a basketball or a hockey sports game, you can kind of, for the most part, directly tie your mechanical action to an outcome. Mm-hmm. But in baseball, you can't do that, right? Like you can get good contact on a swing and it just goes to like one of their guys and he catches it. Right. Um, and so it's like I can have a run where I like get like seven perfect swings in a row and they all just get out. Um, and that makes me feel crazy. <laughs> and you and you can't charge the mound in this one. No, there's no charging the mound. No throwing fireballs at your opponents. None of that, that stuff. Sucks. Yeah, I mean the the, the franchise the like, graphics are cool though. Graphics are great. The franchise like simulator is really fun. I'm in like year 2043 with the Minnesota Twins. We won like 11 World Series. Oh yeah. Um, is, is there any water left, or did the NFTs evaporate at all? Um, <laughs> at that no, point? that's that's actually been a big reason why we've been able to sign good free agents to Minnesota is all the snow melt has actually created some natural reservoirs that have made it a much more palatable place to live as opposed to sort of, you know, no one signs with LA anymore because it's a desert. Very nice. And, and as they should. Um, so, uh, like, I feel like with the sports games, and especially with something like MLB The Show, I do not like sports games. It would be a waste of money for me to buy one, but I do, like, want to see them in 4K on the PS5, you know? Like, I want to see the sweat. It's like a sweat simulator for me, just seeing how wet their skin it, looks. It looks crazy good it's yeah. wild um yeah You're playing it at 4k tv right I'm playing on 4k tv um i'm having a great time it's i it's cool as shit to like uh it's it's cool as shit to like you'll see you know you'll hit a home run and your guy will run around the bases and you'll see the grass like blowing as he's walking and then like you'll see a teammate like pat him on the back and his jersey like ripples and then, like, they walk through the dugout. People are high-fiving. They have, like, real-time facial expressions. Or, like, my favorite thing that happened so far is I stole a base of the guy, and the camera went to a close-up as he stood up, and he was making this face, like, did I do that? <laughs> like, he was making, like, a sassy, like, gotcha kind of feel. Like, it was so funny. And it's, like, the game has so much detail in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, yeah, which is why, I mean, Charlie, uh, Charlie Boy Chauncey is right. They're, like... It's the the best baseball game out there. It's crazy. It's and it's really it's, good. It's the show. Yeah, it's it's the show. It's really good. And even the things I don't like about it are like it's being an accurate baseball simulator. I just don't like the inherent randomness of baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a vi- I mean, I do for watching it. I don't for a video game. <laughs> right. Right. Because um, video sure. games, as uh, like we've heard heard me say this a bunch of times, but video games are like causality is a big part of what makes them fun. <laughs> Um, yeah, and also and also uh, babetality. Yeah, causality mm-hmm. and babetality are the two major things about video games, and that's a that's a that's a, that's a type of fatality, right? Uh, babeality is what you're thinking of. Babeality, that's what it is. Yeah, babetality. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been. I've been sort of just like in anticipation mode sort of as well, just sort of like recharging. Um, I tried to get an emulator working for Pokemon Snap, but it's just not the right game to emulate because you need that like N64 
kind of stick camera angle rotation, um, which is hard to replicate. So I haven't played that, but I've just been digging in, digging into Warzone. Yeah, tell me about um, about the new map before we like leave on some hype notes for Pokemon Snap. How about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, there isn't finally a a new map in the game. Um, It is, uh, you know, I don't like Fortnite, but. I, I really respect Fortnite now after seeing how badly Warzone fucked up their first big event. They probably did the worst event I've seen a game do. Um, now, normally in these battle royales, Fortnite has kind of led the way with these sort of big sort of meta storytelling moments where the map changes or there's a big concert. And, and it's all these really high profile things where hundreds of players are experiencing it in real time together. Well, Warzone tried to do that and fucked it all up okay so what um, what happened because this is not my ballywick yeah. so basically as opposed to having an experience where everyone logged into and sort of experienced at once together what they what they did was is they had a two day long event where the story of the event was told in two hour segments that released in like random hours across the day And each segment was its own update that would then break the game a different way. (laughs) So a lot of the time you couldn't even log into the game or experience any of the sections. And then you just had to kind of hope that you could log on like four hours later and maybe the game would be like a little less broken. You could experience some of it. Um, It was dog shit. I experienced it in glimpses and flashes between crashes and it is it is like such a marvel to me that like this company that has the number one of the number one games in the world and is making like probably billions like probably has like what three employees like work at this fucking place (laughs) yeah man i mean that's the that's unfortunately the classic of video game shit right is that like they they just want that fucking paper and if they can like get away with what it is if they can get away with like the dog shit like Fortnite can't get away with the dog shit version of the stuff because part of what makes Fortnite Fortnite is that it does this kind of stuff. Yeah. But that's not really what makes Warzone Warzone, right? Warzone's for mm-hmm. Call of Duty gang. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think they give a shit or, ha- or, or more significantly have to give a shit. Yeah. And it really told me that I was like, okay, well, like there is Fortnite really started this new thing of like having meta events that we experience together in gaming. And I know there's been things like that that have occurred in the past, certainly in things like World of Warcraft that have occurred organically in the past and, and also by the game designers. Um, but but these just keep feeling like they go, are going to bigger and bigger and more mainstream scales. And yeah, it's just like Warzone like has a really solid just base feel to the game. And everything out around it is held together with duct tape. And I've just really never seen such a triple A thing just collapse on itself uh, so much. I mean, I, I watched Nick Merck's stream the event crash all day to like half a million viewers. Like, like it's just it's wild that there is such a level of of capital flowing through this project that has like, it reminds me of Pokemon a lot, I guess in that way, Yeah, it, it, you know, it's, it, it's the same thing we always talk about Pokemon that like they, the brand does 90% of the fucking work. Yes. Um, like as long as the game does like the hits, like the two or three notes, the X time the game is supposed to hit. We're good here. Um, mm-hmm. and like, to be fair, 
fucking whatever, like Ariana Grande in Karachi, like isn't one of the notes of Call of Duty, really. <laughs> um, it's not one of like one of the things that makes it work. So they're they're going. At, it would be it would be an improvement if it was though. Hey, I mean, look, I'm not gonna say fucking. I'm not gonna disagree with you, but like, it's not. And so of course, when they try and do that, it's like it's not gonna play out great. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was that was my kind of Warzone story. It, it, it is weird because like I, I am like just fundamentally addicted to like the game mechanics in it. And it is the only game where I feel like I get to be competitive with my friends. Um, but uh, it ultimately is an evil enterprise. And it's also just run poorly, too. It's yeah. like it's not just that it's evil, but like they treat us bad, too. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't give a shit. But let's talk about a game, a, a game that also doesn't give a shit about us but might be the best pure of heart. Yeah. yeah. And that's Pokemon and fucking snap, man. I am that's Pokemon fucking so snap. excited. Everything that I've been witnessing from gameplay from this game is exactly what they needed to do. Keep the core of what the game is and then just add visual flourishes, maybe add a few more secret routes, just like just keep what we love about it and, and modernize it. And also share your photos online. Yeah, it's it's got it's got everything. I've been watching much of the gameplay it's stuff because I've been trying to like I just want to like enter that world. Um, enter that world sort of uh, pristine, like a baby fresh from the canals of birth. Yeah. Um, but well, it's looking good. There's 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 some other things that I mean, maybe I, if you don't want me to ruin no, it for you, I, I, I won't. I, mean, but I just don't want I just want like the visual. You, you know me. I just want to see the I want the, the visual to be like a new. Yeah. So, so one big thing that I that I really like what they're doing with this uh, game is that I was worried that it was going to be too many of the new Pokemon. But they're doing a really, really, I would say, mwah, chef's blend of like originals and the right new ones. Yeah, because there are some winners in the newer generations, but it's like it is the correct blend where it's like, OK, yes, I'm noticing there's a Lapras. But OK, then there's like a second or third generation shark Pokemon next to it. I'm like, OK, like I can accept this, you know, like yeah. this is the right moderation. I mean, I've always been higher on the new Pokemon than you. My problem has always been that there's uh, that. Has been twofold. One that just too many new at the expense of the old, right? Mm -hmm. The new ones aren't bad per se, but it's like, come on, I need some of the original juice. And uh -huh. two, that they seem to get really into the least interesting of the new ones every batch. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Where it's like they had that one where it's like three kinds of monkey. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was like a big deal. It felt like in the game. And it was like, mm -hmm. I don't care about three kinds of monkey. Like, <laughs> but I do care about big skyscraper. But I care about, um, I care about Pokemon <laughs> that's a building. Like, absolutely. <laughs> or like the one that's an apple that turns into like, I think a pie or the one that's it, just it, garbage. It, like these are all. It, <laughs> It turns into a dragon. It's a it's a dragon type Pokemon, the apple. See, great, <laughs> um, perfect. And like, I love I love that shit. And Pokemon snaps are so cool because it's like it a like does sort of encourage you to like take actually good pictures because it tries to score you in a way that's like interesting, um, which I like. And mm -hmm. then more significantly, uh, it's like it's a game where it's there's no other game like it. There's no other game that's like the take pictures challenge. Well, well, that's the number one thing that I, I've always said about Pokemon Snap is that like 
Pokemon always, all the games, it's the only time you ever interact with Pokemon is in tall grass where they're attacking you and you beat them into a ball. Pokemon Snap asked the question, what if the Pokemon just existed in the wild and you observed them? And like that just like opened up a whole world of like Pokemon interactions. And like, especially with this new game, some of the things they're showing off is like, uh, you could do this in the old game where you'd, you'd somehow encourage two Pokemon to collide and interact. Well, that's taken to like a whole new level um, with interactions where like certain Pokemon are like teaming up with each other to fight a third Pokemon uh, or or Pokemon are like doing stuff and vibing together. There's the, all these sort of like way cool, like super more modern stuff you wouldn't be able to see in like an N64 game. Uh, that shit's super cool. But the really, really, really big feature that I think will be actually pretty big uh, and that that made me laugh was that you can take these photos that you take of the Pokemon and you can upload them to basically a Pokemon Snap Instagram where everyone there can rank the photos so you can compete to have the world's best photo of Snorlax or something like that. And you can look through the ranking lists and see who who truly is the most Instagram famous Pokemon. This like really might fuck my life up. (laughs) Like that's a real (laughs) recipe for me losing a lot of time. I just don't think like like I it doesn't make sense to me because it's like how many angles of the Lapras could you get and like have them like competing together uh, and the answer is a lot because there's a lot of filters and a lot of ways to manipulate the photos. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> so I think I'm very very excited for that uh, that aspect to it and um, yeah I think it's just gonna be a game that it's just like makes me feel good. Um, we all need that. Um. Yeah, I'm yeah. In, I'm into a nice posy game. I'm into some fun weird stuff. I'm into games that push like the mechanical function of games, which Pokemon Snap definitely does. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I'm excited for next week. I guess we'll do an episode after we've played it, which will be exciting. Should we get a? Yeah. Should we get our friend Alex Hood back on, known Pokemon Snap enthusiast? Uh yeah yeah if he's still out there and uh, oh he's still he po- eat- he's still posting uh, distressing cartoons under politicians Twitter comments <laughs> okay good good they should be distressed they should never want to look at their replies if they surely they don't if they see his work <laughs> um all right man Lapras Lapras is underrated yeah I I agree Lapras is underrated uh and Wiggum now you're now you're speaking my fucking language um I you're wrong to a degree but. Uh, it is, it, you got a good, you got a good vibe there. Also, I think po- politicians should be stretched out and sick every day until they quit, says Wizworld Live. That's I true. think they should actually have the, the Titan age span. Yeah. Where, what is it? 13, like 13 years, then you die. <laughs> yeah. And then only the most noble of souls will take the challenge. Yeah. No, that would be great. Um, only a bunch of uh, cool doctors with glasses. Yeah, honestly, I still think there'd be a bunch of psychos w- willing to do that. Oh my god, for <laughs> sure. Tom, if you told Tom Cotton that he could be a Titan and then die in 13 years, he would have already <laughs> taken the shot. Tom Cotton is definitely the colossal Titan. Oh yeah, for sure. Big, dumb, <laughs> lots of steam. Just the head is the same. The the bald head. Yeah. Um, well, on that image, that folks, horrible, horrible image. Thanks for watching. We were on stream today. That's twitch.tv slash room. Anything for you, Lux? Make sure to check out Haley at Eat Every Sound on YouTube and Instagram and on the Memory Side podcast where she often appears. Um, uh, there's a new PWR guiding coming out, but I'm not even sure when, so I'll plug it when I know more about it. 
Uh, Charlie says, think they'll merge and go and snap, make an AR Pokemon snap, like Pokemon Go meets Pokemon snap. Um, uh, if they want to make a trillion dollars. I, I think my one problem with that is that part of what makes snap so good is Pokemon in their environment. True. And I just don't think poke like people have already been taking like screen caps of like it's a Pokemon, but on the table at Mama Foco Milk Bar, and like mm-hmm. all right, you know, like that's fine. Um, yeah, I just don't think it's gonna have the magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want a digital Momofuku bar that Jinx is operating. <laughs> I, want, I, want, I want Jinx serving me crack pie and cereal milk. <laughs> uh, all right, bye guys. All right, bye.